Welcome to By Design. I'm Lynn. And I'm Danette. And we're really excited that you're with us today. We wanted to share our website with you. It's bydesignpodcast.com. And we're also at By Design Podcast on Instagram and Facebook if you want to follow us there. Yay! Okay, I'm really excited because you've heard me say before um, with these pursuit evenings we've been having here in, mm-hmm. in Valpo, we got to have one of our favorites. Yeah, um, Lena Abujama. She's awesome. She was, she's been on the podcast before, so she's a friend of the show. And she so graciously said that she would come down and speak to our women. And we recorded it. Yeah, she's so good. She spoke from Genesis 3. It was awesome. Yeah, about God's relentless pursuit of us. And, I, you know, she is someone who the Holy Spirit is... She's anointed. She, yeah, the Holy yeah. Spirit is giving her eyes to see truth in a way that I could never... I don't get everything she gets, but when she speaks, the yeah. when she pulls a message together and shares it, it's powerful. I love it. And if you've heard her on Moody Radio or on any of the other shows, she has her own, like livingwithpower.com or .org. Um, even the men, some of the husbands were like, can we sneak in and be a part of this night? Because we love her. Like right. she says, has speaks with such authority and conviction. And um, so it was, it was such a great night. So we were so excited to be able to record it. And now we get to share it with all y'all. So enjoy. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's awesome to be here. Thanks, guys. A Tuesday night in Valparaiso. I guess there's not a lot to do in town. Everyone's here. It's awesome. I got to adjust to this. So here we go. Let's do this. Uh, how's everybody doing? Good? Good, 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 good. We'll get to this in a second. My name is Lena, and I don't know if I've met many of you guys before. If I haven't, uh, hi. I'm from Chicago, so I just drove up this afternoon and got off the highway, and I was like, woo, I am somewhere else. But uh, and, then I, and, then, and then we had these amazing tacos in town, like, and, and a bad mistake to go out for tacos before an event, because you're just like, like, you guys think I'm usually hyped up. Now I'm going to be like, I need to burn off those you know, calories, and so I've got my stepper here, and if you guys are like, stop walking around in the front, well, now I have a reason to walk around because I gotta, I gotta, I gotta breathe. That's why. Uh, anyway, it is awesome to be here. I uh, met Danette and uh, actually we met in Chicago too, didn't we, Lindsay? I can't remember. I, I can't remember completely, but anyway, we uh, have been in communication. We did a podcast together and it's been a lot of fun. So maybe some of you are familiar with my voice from that, but if not, uh, you'll adjust to my pace. You guys good? Is it like, is, is this, this space work in Indiana? Because this is exactly how it'll go. Sometimes I get a little bit more excited than that, but overall this is it. So put your phones away. There's no need to like, you know, multitask here because I'll just kind of do a little Arabic. There's like every other word is an Arabic word. You just, if you listen carefully enough, you might catch it. But um, now I really am excited about any group of women who get together to study God's word. I really am. Today I'm getting over a cold, by the way, so if I accidentally spit my halls at you. The good news is it's at the end, so, uh, and I have a spare one in my pocket just in case. But really, I am. I get so excited about women gathering together um, to hear God's word. I, I don't know if you understand. This is not a common thing. This is a unique thing. I know that in the United States, we sometimes forget, you know, we just take it for granted, but it's a Tuesday night, you know. There's a lot going on, and granted, March Madness is done, but just generally speaking, to come to a church because you want to hear God's word taught and to worship God is a, is a gift. And um, they uh, had told me that the theme of this series is pursuit, and so we're going to talk about God's pursuit. God's relentless pursuit of us. So I'm going to pray in a moment, and then I want to share with you a message that God put on my heart. I'm a Bible teacher. I'm a doctor by training. I still practice medicine. Now more and more uh, telemedicine, but I'm not licensed in Indiana, so I think I'm pretty safe here to say that most of you probably have never had to deal with me. But... um, but it's been a great transition. Back in September, I uh, basically as needed in the ER, and I spent every day talking to patients on the phone, which has been great for the ministry. I was in um, my fellowship. I'll tell you more about it, maybe the course of the talk and whatnot, but I was in my fellowship when the Lord um, just put on my heart this desire and this love to teach God's Word. And so that was about 18 years ago, and God has just basically opened continuous doors for me to do that. And so over the years, I've transitioned from academic medicine to uh, community medicine, and now I do telemedicine. Medicine, so I'm able to pay the bills, so to speak, and, uh, and, and, and generously so. God is so generous to us and just wouldn't have ever anticipated how everything would work out together and still do the thing that I'm most passionate about. I know that many of you here have uh, some thoughts and some dreams and some things that you might want to do for the Lord, and maybe he's put that in your heart, and, and maybe you're sitting here today and you're not nowhere near where you thought you would be at this time, but I, I want to encourage you that if God has called you to it, he is faithful to accomplish it in, in your life. He 
will do it. I don't know how. I still wonder how he's going to accomplish the things that he's still given me and dreams that he's put in my heart. I'm doing things that I never expected to be doing. I never thought I'd be going back to the Middle East to do uh, Syrian refugee work. We'll be going back in May uh, in about four weeks, actually, from today. I'll be going back, and I've got some exciting things planned for this trip, some of which I can't talk about, which is pretty exciting. But um, I think it's cool. I think it's cool how God just takes you down a path that you just didn't anticipate. And um, so it's good. I'm single, which is how all this stuff can work out. If some of you are (laughs) sitting here and you're like, I just don't see it. I don't see how it happens. Well, we got a lot of free time singles, right? Amen. If you're single, amen. Like, amen. No, we're in Indiana. There's no single people in Indiana. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. And then let's... um, Let's get into God's word, because that's really what we're here for. And God, we do recognize that. And Lord, we've already prayed, but I pray because I need you. God, I pray because you've invited us to pray, and it is a way for us to talk to the almighty creator of this universe. It's incredible, Lord, that we can come in the name of Jesus and talk to you. So Father, we just are humbled, and beyond humbled, we're, I guess we confess that we have not taken advantage of this today. Father, so many of us believe that in our hearts. We believe that you are the king of the universe. We believe that you sent Jesus to die for us, and yet we have spent this day and barely spoken to you. Father, we've spoken to our husbands, those who are married here. We've spoken to our bosses, those who went to work. We've spoken to our kids. We've spoken to all of the people that we want to change, but we have not spoken to you. And God, you are the one who changes hearts. So God, we can't even imagine opening your word and talking about you without coming into your presence and asking you to please, please, please. We beg you, God. We beg you how much we need you tonight. We beg you to move in us deeply. God, I beg you to give me insight and give me wisdom. And Father, I just pray that you would just get humans out of the way and let your spirit take over. Father, we've we've sung a song to invite the Holy Spirit. And so now, Lord, I just ask that your word would be clear. God, I ask for a movement of your spirit that we cannot contrive, that we cannot make happen, but that we are desperately hungry for. I'm hungry for it. And so, God, we thank you that you are a faithful God who hears us and who does that which we ask in the name of Christ for the glory of our King. And so, Father, thank you. It is in your Son's name that I pray. Amen. Amen. I love Jesus. I, I really do. I grew up in a Christian home in Beirut, Lebanon. I, we spent the first 15 years of my life there. It was a war-torn time. And I came to know the Lord through the testimony of my mother. I met the drummer today who was here earlier. I don't know if you can call this a drum. That's a drum I can play. I don't know what it is, but I, I guess anything can be a drum. But he, he was a drummer. Let's just say he's a drummer. So no offense. He's a, he's a fellow. His mom is Palestinian. My mom is Palestinian. My mom was a uh, refugee from Palestine and landed in Lebanon with her family when she was seven. And grew up in Lebanon and uh, eventually met my dad, who is Lebanese. And they came to, well, she came to Christ in her college years. He was not a believer when they got married. And uh, by God's grace, 15 years into the marriage, he accepted Christ. And a few years after that, we moved and came to the United States. Well, during those early years, my dad, who was a physician, said to my mom, you bring up the kids, and uh, I don't know how, you know, back then in the United States, I would imagine it was the same, the woman was, frankly, even to this day, even though we fight for equality even work, but really the mom tends to take the ownership of the home in many ways, and so many of you moms, you go to work during the day, and you come home, and you got to fix dinner, and you've got to do the dishes, and you've got to take care of the kids, and do the homework, and on and on and on, well, so that was my mom, she uh, uh, did all of that, but the beauty of it was that God gave her free reign to bring us in the admonition of the Word of God. And so I grew up hearing the gospel much like you would in a Christian home here in the United States. I went to Bible church down the street that had an American pastor and his wife and came to know Jesus in a very simple way. It was only when I moved to the United States at 15, though, that my life in Christ started growing. And you know the difference. You know the difference where you know Jesus is your Savior, and you know you're going to heaven, and you've accepted him into your life, but you know that some things, there are some moments, whether here in church or you go on a retreat or you go to a conference, and something different happens. It's like you just encounter God in, in a much more intimate way, in a deeper way. And there's something about those moments that is vital. And, and, and that happened to me when I was 15 at a Christian camp. And, and it was right after, I, it was actually about 16 by then. We moved, I finished high school, I was young, awkward. 
just crazy, you know, now looking back, I don't know how I coped, how anybody, I mean, you can explain a lot about me today based on that first year landing off the boat, and, 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 and I, I remember going to camp, and listen, listen, my life was changed by the Lord, and I, it was up in northern Wisconsin. I mean, you think Valparaiso's bad. I mean, this place up there, I don't even think they had cows up there. And, and, and we, there we were, and we were, like, we had nothing else. We didn't have cell phones back then. Some of you are like, did the world ever exist before cell phones? Yes, they did. And, 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 and by the way, I just read the story about Steve Jobs, his daughter, who's now in college, and like the new inventor of whatever. And this is like before Steve Jobs. Like, we were, we were alive before Steve Jobs. It's pretty crazy. But, but I was up at that camp, and I'm telling you guys here, you've got these makeshift stars up there, but I remember being at camp and the stars being as bright as these little things in the ceiling here, and just standing outside and thinking, man, this God of the universe knows me and loves me. And, and I knew he had died for the world. I knew the gospel message, but there was something so intensely personal about that moment at camp. It felt, and I hate to use that word, but it was truly like a feeling of closeness with the Lord, such that many of us who have experienced it yearn to go back to that place of closeness. And every so often we'll leave the, maybe tonight you're here because you miss that moments of, those, those, those moments of intimacy with God. And they fuel our Christian walk and they drive it and they stir our hearts so that we can go a year or maybe 10 years on that one moment that God gives us. And I remember being a 16-year-old young gal and I was on my way to college that following year and just everything about my life changed after that encounter. It became personal. God's pursuit of me went from being like just him coming to to the earth to die for us to, to him coming for Lena and having a plan for Lena and wanting to do something through Lena. And so I stopped saying, God, what do I want to do for myself? It became... God, what do you want me to do for you in this life that I've been given? So I went to a Christian college and, and I, I started reading my Bible regularly and I started doing the things that Christians ought to be doing in order to grow. And, 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 and it has not been lost on me in the last 30, 40 years of, of this time that, that, that this experience, even though it seems so common, is also so lacking in the church. And I'm not sure where we get off the exit ramp and we start going down that path of dryness and going down that path of, 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 of just this, this on my own. I'm not sure where God is. Even though you're a Christian, you just sort of are even a sold out Christian, but God is way up there and you're way down here. And I was reminded of that this week. My sister's been dealing with a situation in her life. She has a very close friend from college who had come to Christ in a radical way back about 15 years ago. And, and her salvation was just, just crazy. She was one of those people who was like the Apostle Paul, like complete conversion. And everybody rejoiced when she became a Christian. Her husband became a Christian. They started going to church and they were older, you know, in, in their faith. And, and it was like just immensely awesome. And, 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 and every so often they would connect and, and, and talk to each other, my sister and her friend, and, and on and on over the years. And then they sort of lost touch a few years ago. And, and, and about a week ago, they got this text from the husband. And he was like, I don't know what's happening. She's filing for divorce. And it wasn't that, I mean, divorces become so common. It wasn't even just a divorce. It was that she was filing for divorce. It just was so contrary to this person that had a heart and a life that had been fueled by God for so long. And, and, and so I've been sort of watching this relationship and how my sister and her husband have been praying for this couple and ministering with them and, and trying to just figure out, like, how? And, I, and my sister and I have been talking about, it, like, how do you go from that mountaintop experience where you're looking at the stars, where you're just in awe of all God has for you? How do you go from, from, from complete turnaround in your life where you leave the things of the past behind, where you're coming to church, where you're journaling, where you're reading the Bible, where you're showing up to small group. This is where this couple, we're going to church, doing the things externally that they're supposed to be doing, but the heart slowly shriveling like a raisin, completely disconnected from God Almighty. See, we think if we're in the right place with the right people that somehow it'll just magically happen to us. And so we stop sort of paying attention to God Almighty. And how, how do you become that person who no longer cares? You can't even, you become so hardened in your heart that you don't even want to hear the gospel anymore. How do you go from this person to that person? And I'm a sister and I've been talking about it. I'm thinking, man, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to wake up one day and be like, man, I'm not sure what happened, but five years ago, I used to be on fire for Jesus. 
Five years ago, I used to be leading in the church. I used to be doing all these things. And now I don't even know where God is. Like I sit there and I do my devotions. And I say things in small group because I know what I'm supposed to say. Because how many of us haven't figured it out by now? Like it doesn't take a genius. Small group 101, I can give you five best answers for any question that will ever be asked. Right? I mean, you guys can take that spiritual assessment test. You can write that test at this point. It doesn't take a lot of energy to sit in the group, to come up with the answers, and to show up the next week, and to act on the outside like everything is fine. But inside, how's your heart? Is it still on fire for the Lord like it used to be when you were 16 at camp, standing outside, swatching the stars and knowing without a doubt that this God of the universe sees you and knows you and loves you and has paid the price for you, not for your Facebook friends, because surely it always looks like he's done more for them than for you, but for you. That he knows your present problems. That he's allowed your present problems. Maybe you're like, now I'm not even aware of God. I don't even have any problems. We, I'm not sure what universe you'd be living in if you're here and you think that. You might be living a life trying to act like you don't have any problems. But the truth is, and I know that because I work in the emergency room, every one of us, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're black or white, whether we're small or big, whether wherever we are in our life, whether we're educated or uneducated, we're all facing some grave situation situation in our life and that problem that is not a curse that is a gift that God has put in our life because it is that problem is the process that God is using to perfect us and to draw us closer to him and either we're going to embrace that problem and say man okay God has allowed this thing in my life that I don't like and instead of ignoring it instead of numbing it instead of like throwing it out the window be like I'm gonna fix that problem instead of that why don't you let God take that problem and do the work that he's meaning to do in your life through it Genesis chapter 3 is a passage of scripture that the Lord has impressed on my heart to teach tonight and I'll be honest, I haven't been in that chapter in some time, although it is the foundation so much of all that we are today. I mean, Eve really was the reason that we are living where we are today. She's the one who blew it. Of course, the Bible blames Adam in the New Testament, but Eve was really the one who started this thing, and (laughs) he had the uh, responsibility for the home, so in some ways he was the one who was responsible, and uh, whoever it was, it was a bad day that day. And in Genesis chapter 3... But before we get to chapter 3, let me remind you of the setting here. God has just created a perfect, perfect world. There is no lack. There is no fat. There is no bad hair day. There is no nothing that we deal with. I mean, this is a perfect, perfect place. In fact, the only problem is that God looks and sees man and he says, man needs a helper. He's not good alone. And all the singles in the room said, amen. Amen. <laughs> And, 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 and God, this is what's interesting, is God sees the problem and God provides a solution for the problem. So trust me, if you're here and you're single and you're like looking at that verse going, see, 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 listen to me, I'm telling you, see, 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 because if God sees a problem that needs to be fixed in your life, he'll provide that person and he'll put you to sleep while he's doing it. And it might cost you a rib and, and maybe I'm speaking to some guy sitting in the back, I don't know right now, but, but if you're a girl here, just have faith that God is doing what he needs to be doing and so stop fretting it. But this message isn't for singleness or dating or marriage at all. This is, a, this is a lesson on God's relentless pursuit of you. And so there is a situation where God has formed this perfect, perfect world. And in it, it says that in chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden... And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says in verse 15, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Listen to me. The problems in your life, before I finish this verse, the problems in your life are there for a reason. The lack in your life, the things that you think you can't have are there for a reason. And so God says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Then he gives him Eve. Eve didn't get the memo, apparently. (laughs) 
Now we get to chapter 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty. Now, remember that the backdrop of all of this, if you read through Isaiah and through Revelation, you know that Satan has already rebelled. His pride, has, his pride is the reason that this angel of light has become the deceiver, the serpent, the evil one. And now he comes in the form of a serpent. And he says, now the serpent was more crafty and he hates God. And he hates everything good. And he hates everything God has created. And so he's going straight to man and woman because they are made in the image of God. And his goal is to destroy them, to destroy all that God has done. It says, by the way, that is a word for you. Satan hates you if you're a child of God. He hates the church. He hates your Christian marriage. We don't like to talk about Satan anymore in 2018. We, we want some proper word, the evil one. We, you know, we can't even, the enemy, the adversary, but like, it sounds so hokey. Like we're talking about some Stranger Things show, like some kind of sci-fi, you all weirdos over there talking about, I'm telling you, this is the truth of God's word. There is an evil one. His name is Beelzebub. He hates Jesus. We are not fighting a war in the flesh. Those people in your life that you can't stand, Satan has allowed them to be cruel to you. Those people in your home that you think, man, I can't believe he said that Satan might influence those people in your life to do things in your life to get you to, to question God's goodness towards you because he hates God so much. This is not a battle in the flesh. This is a spiritual battle that's happening. Are your eyes open to that? Or are you so focused on the people and the circumstances in your life that you've forgotten that there's a bigger thing happening? If we could only live with eyes to see. Do you know one of the things, one of the reasons I love going to the Middle East? Because they are so aware of the unseen forces in the Middle East. And part of it is because evil is so much eviler, if that's a word. It is so much more evil there that you can't help it. Like you can't think that that evil is human because it is so wretched. The stories that you hear about what happens to people over there. I'll run a clinic and the stories that by, by 11 o'clock in the morning, I can't take it anymore. I speak Arabic and so we're not going through a translator. And, and there's an unfiltered barrage of here's what's happened to us. And the evil in this world is far above and beyond what you can ever imagine. And yet, men and women are coming into the knowledge of the light it is dramatic to see the, 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 this, this, this change between darkness and light. This Colossians, he's taken you from the domain of darkness and put you in the kingdom of his light. And that is what he's done for us. But, but we walk in the West with a sort, of, a sort of complacency maybe or maybe an ignorance. I don't know what you want to call it. But we walk with a sort of just, a, just sort of like a nonchalance about things that are darkness. Because if we could see it for what it's worth, it would change everything. And so the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. That, by the way, if that is not a reason for us to get up in the morning and get on our knees, my goal is not to scare us of Satan. We, we've, Jesus has risen from the dead. You all had an Easter service a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? I forgot to tweet that day. I didn't forget. I, I decided I wasn't going to tweet about Easter. Does that make me not a Christian? Because if you don't say it on Twitter, like, it's not really, like, you're not real. And I was like, let's see what happens. And I didn't get zapped, so I'm, I'm okay, because I really believe in Jesus, even though I didn't put it on Twitter. But there's this, there's this, there, everybody celebrated Easter. We know Jesus is risen. He's not in the tomb. We know it. We know it. We, we, he's victorious over the evil one. So we have all we need to fight him. We don't have to be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. If you're here, like, ah. I always knew my husband was the devil. That's not the goal of this evening. <laughs> be like, I, I like what that teacher said. You go home and be like, honey, wait till I tell you what she said. That's not the goal of this evening. No, we know that the evil one is defeated. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. When we walk into a room, we bring the Holy Spirit in with us so that we can fight the darkness. We just have to be yielded to the Spirit of God. And if you're like me, this is an awareness that has to happen moment by moment. I'll wake up some days and I'm like, furthest thing from a Christian known to mankind. Thank God I'm single. Right? Even my coffee machine can't take me. <laughs> and, 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 and it's something. When you go on vacation, single people, you ever happen to you? You go on vacation, you wake up with people in the home. And you're, all of a sudden you have to like be like, you feel like you're in an alien planet. <laughs> You actually have to be nice to people, but 
You've got to get on your knees and ask the Lord to be yielded. That's what my mom did growing up. She would wake up not cheerier than everybody else, but she would have time with the Lord first so that we, she was ready to face the day when the kids came out screaming and looking for the shirts that she had ironed and put in the closets and when the husband came out looking for the meal and on and on and on. How do you think moms do it? They do it because they, most moms I know get up an hour before everybody else. I have these conversations regularly with people. Why? Because they know they need the Lord. The problem is we do it once in the morning and by 10 o'clock in the morning we're not walking in the spirit anymore. And, and so there has to be an ongoing communion. That is what I love about Christian radio. It's because it stays in your ear. I grew up, I'm a Christian radio brat if there's such a thing. There's pre- preacher's kids, there's Christian radio kids. I'm a Christian radio kid. Everywhere we turned, there was a Christian radio on. It was like this talk radio. And we're like, Mom, really? But we grew up with the voices of preachers in our heads. And it was a reminder of the truth over and over and over again. These are good habits to establish. Now, now, poor Eve, she didn't have Christian radio back then. So here's Eve in the garden on her own. By the way, we're going to see this pattern. When you isolate yourself from others, you're setting yourself up to fall. So it says the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, again, remember, we're talking about God's relentless pursuit of us. God puts all of these trees. It's an amazing garden. There's one tree they cannot eat. One tree. And that's the one tree that Satan goes to and points and says, look what you don't have. Is that a word for anyone today? Look what you don't have. You could have 10 pages of of a thousand gifts and more, and you know them well and good, but there's one thing that you've been praying for for the past decade, and you're like, God never answers my prayers. God never does the things I want him to do. God is good to everybody else but me because your eyes are so focused on that one thing. I wrote this down. I'd like to jot notes and to kind of carry your thought through. Here's the first point. I know it's a good 20 minutes in and we're on point one, but that's okay because they pick up. But I wrote this. What's so amazing about us is that even when we have all that we need, our hearts will still desire the one thing that we do not have. You could have everything. A husband and kids and a home and a car and I mean, everything. And you know it. You get on that Facebook and, man, I always wanted a dog. And every time I get a dog, he dies. And God doesn't want me to have a dog. No matter what it is. And you're just like obsessed over it. Single people obsess over marriage. Married people obsess over other people's husbands. And go on and on and on. You don't need to be more than two, three, four years of age to start down that pattern. You know what that's called? It's idolatry idolatry an idol is anything that we think we desperately need in order to be happy an idol is anything that we think we can't live without if i don't get that thing i'm never going to be happy and so we take what should be rightfully a god place and we put it you can fill in the blank of what your idol is even a christian thing can become an idol I watched my life over the past 20 years, and one of the biggest areas, even at this dinner tonight, we were talking a little bit, and I was, they were asking me about the ministry and what God's doing, and I said, look, I've had to crucify my dreams, the things that I think that I should do for God have had to go on the altar and be crucified because they keep coming up and they become more important than what God is in my life. And if you want to live in that place, like at camp where you're looking at the stars and you know that God is close and God is at work in your life, if you want to be in that place where your heart is burning on fire for God, then that thing that you want more than anything, that thing, that tree that Satan looks and says, look what you don't have, that thing has to be crucified. Listen, you put it on the altar and you burn it up. You don't do what Eve did. You know what Eve did? She engaged with the enemy she started talking to him about it and she I mean this woman start, she's talking to a serpent like what's wrong with this picture she doesn't know the serpent I mean would you talk to a rat if a rat came up and started talking to you now you would not but she's so engaged in that thing that she doesn't have that she'll talk to anyone about it and isn't that how sin gets us one moment we're walking down the path, reading our Bible and journaling, and next thing you know, you, there's a one thing that you want that you don't have, 
and you're having conversations, online chats with people called Omar from South Tanzania, and you're going, man, how did I send them my credit card account? I mean, like, how did this go from there? How did I, how did I get here? And, and so Eve, of course, she doesn't just talk to the serpent, but she misrepresents God. She says, uh, ah, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Many of you who have been in the Bible for a while know that she added to God's word. That's not, God never said anything about touching it. But, but let me tell you something, she was on to something, because if you want to stay away from sin, you don't even touch it. So even though God didn't say it, that's a good plan. You don't even touch it. So there's anybody here under 30 who has a, I should say under 15 who has a phone. Like, don't touch it. Like, there, there are some things that you shouldn't even download. My, if you're single here, I can speak to you. There are some things you just shouldn't even download. Don't touch it. Don't look at it. And, and it's not just physical things. I mean, you could go on and on about the things that we just, like, flirt with. Sinful areas in our life. Television shows. Things that we're like, that's not that bad. And we just, like, sort of analyze them. And we think, man, if the other Christians are watching them, and if they can watch them, surely I can watch them. And we justify sinful choices in our life. And, and if only we ran. In Timothy, where Paul writes, flee temptation, flee it, flee it, run, run. Do what Joseph did, leave your coat and run for your life. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Do you know that every area of sin in our life, every area of sin in our life starts with doubting what God has said about your life. It starts with doubting God's goodness in your life. That's really what was happening here. Serpent comes to Eve and says, do you really believe God loves you, Eve? Because if he loved you, he would have given you that tree. Do you really believe God cares for you? Because he, if he cared for you, that situation wouldn't have happened in your life. When Remember what I told you a few minutes ago. The problems you are facing are the very process that God is using to perfect you. If you want your heart back on fire for Jesus, if you want to be back in that place where you're worshiping God with abandon, where you know that you know that you know that you're a child of the king, you let that problem have its full effect and you let that trial take you to the place of completion because God is going to use it for good. You've heard it. What Satan wants to use to destroy you, God is going to use to transform you. It is a fact. But Eve is so caught up with what she wants. An idol cannot be reasoned with. It can only be destroyed. Sin, this is a good definition for sin. Sin is when we choose our idols to fill us instead of trusting God to do it. Daily decisions, guys. This is not rocket science. This isn't just like sinful moments. Oh, I, am I going to have an affair with this guy today? That, I'm not talking about things like that. I'm talking about little choices in the course of the day. Will you get up in the morning and trust the gym to make you look good? Or will you take that extra 10 minutes? You only have 10 minutes. Are you going to give it to God or are you going to give it to the gym? You go, well, God wants me to have a healthy body. Maybe you could do both at the same time. I don't know. Be creative. The point of it is you got to make choices that honor God. Here's what's so amazing. I said what's so amazing about us is that even when we have all that we need, our hearts will still desire the one thing that we don't. What's so amazing about God is that no amount of sin and darkness will ever keep him from coming after us. The story goes on. Of course, you know it. This is not a... A new story, I'm sure, for many of you, but the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to me desired to make one wise. By the way, three areas of temptation that will are recurrent themes of temptation in Scripture. You see them when Jesus was tempted in the garden. It was along the, those three areas. You see it in First uh, John chapter 2 where it talks about the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So you see that all of sin goes back to those three areas. The things that we see, the things that we want, the things that, 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 that work on our pride. And so the eyes, of course, she convinces her husband because sin always brings everybody around you down. So she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And he should have known better because he had heard God, even if she might have not. So let's give her the benefit of the doubt. But he knew. And then it says, verse 7, the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. Now they had been, by the way, in chapter 2, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And the insinuation here is that now they're naked, they're married married, by the way, so there should be no shame because they're married and they're naked, but they're ashamed because they've now 
usurped God's place in their life, and they are the ones calling the shots. And sin has entered the world. Every struggle that you and I have with sin, the moment we're born, is because of the sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. Now, but, but listen, none of it was a surprise to God. None of it. God didn't watch Adam and Eve fall and go, oh my goodness, I need a plan B. I have a great idea. I'm a triune God. I'll send Jesus to save them. That wasn't how it happened. God's pursuit of us is so deep, his love so wide, his persistence so steadfast, his faithfulness so deep to us. Listen to me, he planned it even before the fall. He allowed them to be in a garden. He put the tree that they couldn't eat. He knew that was coming. He knew who Satan was. He knew what Satan had done. And he already foresaw, he had already planned that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. And so God plans these things knowing the choices we will make. And listen, after they fall and they're hiding and they're ashamed, it says that they sowed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Y'all ever been watching TV and you get on that channel that's like the bad show, any teenagers here tonight, and your mom and dad walk in and you're like, change it, change it, change it. That's what we used to do growing up because it never occurred to us that our mom and our dad might, might know what was happening on that show because they had to have us. Like it never crossed our mind that, that they had done the deeds, right? And you're like, hide it, hide it, don't let them see oh my god she's gonna ruin them forever and god help us and so and that's what adam and eve did they hid from the presence of the lord listen they hid from the presence of the lord do you know you can be in a garden with god and be hiding from his presence you can be sitting right here right now in this church but you're nowhere near where god is I think that is the biggest tragedy for the Christian, the follower of Jesus, is when you get to the place where you're walking among Christians, you're showing up to small group, you're where you're supposed to be on the outside, but your heart is hiding. What's so amazing about God is that no amount of sin and darkness will ever, listen to me, no amount of sin and darkness will ever keep him from coming after you. It says, but the Lord called but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? So, so, so picture this, Adam and Eve, they're ashamed. They know what they've done. They've blown it. I mean, they were given, I mean, I mean, so much happened here. We're going over this quickly because it's Tuesday night in Valparaiso and, and, and that's how we do things here. Everybody's got to get back home, go to bed before nine o'clock in the evening, but, but we're going to turn to pumpkins. But listen, I got to drive to Chicago, but no, but, but, but they're, they're like, they know that they've messed up. Like, you know, you don't need anybody to tell you. Like, you don't need a memo. You know that you've cheated. You know that you've lied. You you know that you've seen what you shouldn't have seen. You know it. You know it. You know you're a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I don't need a pastor to get up and tell me. You ever been to these services where the pastor gets up and like, let me give you a list of sins and now you guys can identify your sin. Like, really? Like, I know. I can make the list. Like, you don't need to put that list up. I know. And I know it's a help. I'm not criticizing pastors to do it, but, but I'm just saying, like, I know my sin. And so I'm hiding. Adam and Eve are like, man, I better hide because now I'm naked and, and I'm ashamed of my wife and I'm ashamed of God. And, and, and plus, like, I've blown it. God's going to be mad at me. And they know all these things now because that, that was the point. Is there was an innocence to them before. And now, and now they are ashamed. And, and so God comes and he's looking for them. And, of course, God knows where he, they are. And, uh, and he calls them and they hide. He says, where are you? And uh, he doesn't stop. He stays. I, 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 I don't know how. Do you ever stop and think about that? He, he, he doesn't. Like, there were so many ways that he could have handled it. There are so many ways that God could have had the right to handle. I mean, he, he's God. He created this whole thing in six days. Like, I, I believe that, by the way. I believe the Bible's the literal word of God. I, I do. I'm one of those people who still believes it. And so he could have destroyed the whole thing and made it back up. Like, I mean, he is God. Like, he could have done that. And, and, and there's only two people. Like, like, remember Noah's story? There was, like, many, many more. And, and there was a time when he said, enough. But here, there were only two. Like, it could have been easy to be like, well, you know what? We're going to redo this. You know, let me do a, what do you call that in golf? Like, a mulligan. Let's do a mulligan, all right? 
Let's destroy the whole thing and do it again. But he doesn't do that. On the contrary, he, he comes after them and he stays after them and he relentlessly pursues them. And you get a feeling like God was not going to stop until he got to the heart of this thing. Some of you are here today because God has been relentlessly pursuing you home. He's calling you to come back and he knows who you are. He knows what you've done. No amount of sin that you've ever thought or done will ever separate you from his deep, deep love for you. He won't let you hide. He might let it go for a little bit. I don't know how long they hid behind the bushes and behind the little leaves thinking that they could hide themselves. But God was not going to be okay with it. He went and looked for them and he found them and he called them. And then he asked them to assess, where are you? And there's, you don't even get a sense of condemnation. Just sort of a, he knows that they know that they've blown it. And he knows how good he is. Do, do you see this? Like he's so loving and I don't think our minds understand that because I think we have some sense of, of, of how this works out in our own homes. And some of you may have had very strict parents and maybe you are punished for your wrong and maybe you have strict bosses and maybe they fired you for your wrongs and, 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 and government officials and however it plays out. And, and we don't understand true mercy. And so God says, where are you? And, and Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? I mean, I, I believe there's so much grace in this. God has given him a chance to fess up. And even when they've miserably failed him, God still longs to be with them. And uh, here's point number three. What's so amazing about us is that even when we are guilty as sin, we will always still try to find an excuse for our actions. Even when we're guilty of sin, Adam says, uh, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. The Lord God said to him, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And, and we see this pattern over and over again. This couple I was telling you a little bit about. I mean, uh, my sister told me bits and pieces of their story. But, but, but the same exact thing happens. You've got a couple that's on the verge of divorce. And the husband's blaming the wife. And the wife is blaming the husband. And they're both blaming everybody else. And no one is looking vertical. My sister asked at one point. She says, uh, How's your relationship with the Lord right now? And one of the couples said, well, I'm going to church. Uh, I'm in small group. I'm serving whatever he was serving. My sister says, be careful. I didn't ask you what you're doing for God. I asked you, how is your heart with God? How's your relationship with the Lord? How many of us feel good about ourselves? Because we're doing the things that we think are good. We're so, I, I, I've discovered this about myself. I grew up in a very, I guess, performance-based culture. You had to do well in order to succeed. And we're Lebanese. You had to have money to go to school. You had to do well if you were sent to school because it cost a lot of money. And that was the only way that you could really rise and be something. There's no such thing as the American dream in foreign countries. And so you work hard and you get ranked early on. And everything is like just how you do. And, 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 and many of you understand that mentality. And so you bring it with you into the Christian world. And though, even though you know that God loves you unconditionally, there's a sense in us that, that and it's the sense of every human. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. And you feel like, man, if I'm good enough, if I do enough good things, God is going to approve of me. And, and that is what God in his word speaks against. He says, man, it is not your goodness. It is God's goodness towards us. There was really nothing that we could do to save ourselves. It was all God's love towards us. He sent Jesus in order to die for us, to pay, to pay a price we could not pay. And so we understand that at salvation. Many people understand, well, I can't save myself because I'm a sinner. And if I'm a sinner, I deserve to die. And Jesus died for my sins. So therefore I put my faith in him and I'm saved. But the minute we come into salvation, we start working towards sanctification meaning we want to grow in Christ by our works. But it doesn't work that way. We grow in Christ by faith, which means we still bring nothing to the equation, which is extremely humbling, right? You can't give enough money to an organization. You can't save enough kids in your Sunday school class. I mean, great, if you do it, that is the result of your relationship with God, not 
that doesn't earn you favor with God. And I've had to learn the hard way. God has had to limit sometimes fruit in my life in order to understand that he loves me unconditionally. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I know who I am in Christ. That is a gift. Remember, the problems that you face are the process that God is using to perfect you and to grow you in him. And so what's so amazing about us is that even when we're guilty as sin, we still always will try to find an excuse for our actions. True repentance stops making excuses. By the way, conviction here, you want to know if you're being convicted today? It is the supernatural awareness that things must change. I like that definition for conviction. If you're sitting here today and you're sort of going, man, I'm hearing Lena and I'm hearing this story and I see in my life how I've spent my whole energy, everything that I'm doing is about getting that one thing in my life. I'm mad at God because that one thing hasn't happened. I'm disappointed with my relationship with God because he hasn't fixed that one thing. It's still on my prayer list. It's been 10, 20, 30, 50 years and I'm mad about it and I'm 90% happy but there's a 10% this happiness in my life. Maybe that's you. And you're kind of still hearing this and going, yeah, she's right. You know, I'm doing what Eve did and I'm, 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 I'm playing this game with the evil one and I'm letting him have victory and my heart is dry and I'm going through the motions but my heart is dry. If that's you and you have the sense that I got to change, like I don't want to stay there. I want to be back in that place on the mountain where you're looking at the stars and you know that God is for you, that he has a plan for you, that that thing you don't even need because he's given you 99 other things that are so much better. But listen, because he He's given you himself. That's conviction. That sense that I got to change. And and, and see, what what do we do? We get our little phones out and we get our little paper and we go, well, how am I going to change? Let me make a plan. And here's plan. I'm going to pay five steps. I mean, I'm going to step one, two, three, four, five. All right, I I got this. I got this. Starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up at five in the morning. I'm not going to go to the gym. I'm going to work it out. Just like she said, I'm going to get on my knees first thing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go after it. And we think it's some CrossFit for Jesus. (laughs) And it doesn't work. And then you're more aggravated because you're like, man, well, I went to the service and you let him change you. You don't have to do a thing. You just align yourself with him. You acknowledge to him, which we'll do in a minute. We're going to sing it shortly. I'm going to finish up one more point, then we're going to close. And you're going to have a moment in your seat to think. Maybe already you're starting to think about it. What does God want to change in your life? What is standing in the way of the fire burning in your heart for Jesus like it used to be back when you were saved. Do you remember that time in your life, the honeymoon season? Maybe you had moments in your Christian life that you remember as being just outstanding and you're not there right now. Aren't you sick? Look, if, you, if you're going to waste your life, just, there's so many better things and easier things than to waste it trying to be a good Christian. It's, it's exhausting. What if you let God in and say, God, I, I don't know how to change, but I'm willing to let you. Do you know what God did for Adam and Eve? I wrote this down for the last point. What's so amazing about God's love is that even though we don't deserve it, God still gives us a second chance. He goes on and he speaks a rebuke, a condemnation to the serpent. He tells Eve and Adam how it's going to play out. By the way, you can spend a year studying this chapter and how so many of our struggles today are because of what happened. All of our struggles today are because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. And then he goes to verse uh, 20. It says, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife. Listen, verse 21, and the Lord God, and the Lord God, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife, garments of skin and clothed them. Did you catch that? Many of you may be avid Bible students and have heard this before, but God didn't tell Adam and Eve, hey, dude, go find yourself an animal, bring him and cut him and take the skin and dress yourself. No, he didn't do that. In fact, Adam and Eve, I think, I have a feeling Adam and Eve didn't know what to do. But I bet you more than anything that they longed for that communion with God that they used to have. And, and so God knows exactly what's needed. And he goes and he brings an animal and he kills the animal. And this is the first picture of the, what is predicted to be 
the coming of Christ and the dying, the shed blood of Jesus. We see it right here in Genesis chapter 3. We see how an animal is killed because that's how they got the skin. And that skin is used to dress Adam and Eve. It is, it, is not, it, is, it is essential to understand that Adam and Eve couldn't have dressed themselves, that they needed God to be the one who was dressing them. Do You see, salvation is not by works. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And so here in Genesis 3, the beginning of the story of our world, really, this is why we're here because of what happened in Genesis 3. And, and so we see how God models salvation to us. He, there's shed blood, there's forgiveness. And then God, now many, I remember reading the story and being like, well, they sort of suffered because now he kicks them out of the Garden of Eden. But, but really he does it in love because... Had he kept them there, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. By the way, a gift to work the ground. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Problem with that tree was that if Adam and Eve were ever tempted to eat of it, they would have lived forever in their state of sin. And so God in his protective redemptive love and his relentless pursuit of relationship with man whom he had created in his image says to them you out of the garden at this point until a later time when we can be rejoined you know what i love about the story of adam and eve though it is that it doesn't just stop there you know i'm going to briefly walk you through chapter four with really two highlights number one adam knew eve his wife and she conceived and bore cain now sin has entered into the world things are not good and their life to a certain extent, though they are now, like many of us, struggle with sin but have a relationship with God and trying to juggle that while they get Cain and Abel and how many of you have kids and wouldn't it be the worst thing in your life if you had one of your kids kill the other? Imagine them, like this is Adam and Eve, we've been talking about these two, this is their life now. Because why? Because Eve one day looked at the fruit that she couldn't eat and had a relationship with the evil one and took that fruit and ate it. The one thing she couldn't have, she went after. And now her kids, one of them kills the other, like literally kills him. And so Cain is sent out and it's like you, you ever look at a family and you go, man, what a mess. I can't even, how do you even come back from that mess? Maybe that's your family today. Maybe you're like, man, my family is such a mess. Only a miracle of God could fix that. Listen, we serve a God who specializes in miracles. We serve a God who starts at impossible. We serve a God who can do anything. There is nothing that he cannot do. And in point of proof, after Cain and Abel, now sin is in the world. This is the brokenness. And why do people hurt each other now? Why do kids get stolen and raped? And why do things happen in the Middle East and here? And why do people shoot each other? Why are these things happening? Because of the sin that Adam and Eve fell into because of sin and you see all of this playing out from Adam from Genesis chapter 3 and 4 but then in verse 25 of chapter 4 it says and Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth for she said God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him to Seth also was born a son and he called his name Enosh and then it says at that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord I've been sort of thinking driving here like what will it take how much badness does have to happen in our life for us to start calling on the name of the Lord how many of you came here tonight and honestly I I never know how a talk is going to play out some are more serious than others and I just know that the Spirit of God puts a passage on my heart and compels me to speak on something. And how many of you came here and the last thing on your mind was to deal with that sinful area in your life? You just wasn't on your agenda tonight. And maybe you're comfortable with the way things are with God. And you just don't, you just, just don't even go there. You just, just keep that drawer. It's like your house. There's that drawer. Do you know yesterday I got my four-year-old nephew was over and that little booger, I tell you, I said, I've been wanting to clean my house forever. Like the closets, you know, spring cleaning. And, and there's one candy drawer, we call it the surprise drawer is what he calls it. It is a surprise drawer. I don't even want to open it. He's always like, can I look in the surprise drawer? I'm like, you look, because I can't look at that drawer. And, and we cleaned it up yesterday because he was there. And I said, and he was in one of those moves. He says, I'll help you. And sure enough, he and I opened that drawer we took everything out. We, we emptied it all out. And then we put it back together again. 
You can come to my house today and you can open any drawer. I have no shame. What a picture, isn't it? Won't you let the Spirit of God move in your heart tonight? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes here for a moment. Many of you already have identified what the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to change. Remember what I called conviction. It is the supernatural awareness that things must change. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me, um, let me just assure you that when you give God everything, you'll never regret it. I was thinking driving up here of my own story. Um, and I'll tell it to you even while your eyes are closed thinking about your life. Everything fell apart when I was in my mid-twenties. I got engaged and honestly, I, I, I don't know what I was thinking, but next thing I knew it was two weeks before the wedding and the engagement was broken and my heart was shattered by another relationship, a guy that had been my best friend for 10 years and I thought God would redeem the one story into some happy ending and he didn't and I was mad at God. And I spent the next year or two just duking it out with God. It was the one thing I wanted that God just seemed to hold back from me. And I got to the place in my life where I had two choices. I could either fight him for the rest of my life and I knew how miserable I was. Or I could come to him with open arms and open hands and just say, God, he's yours. He was yours to begin with. I'm yours. Do what you think is right. Do you know, it was about a week after that that God introduced me to three old people in my church and shortly after that I was invited to their Sunday school and about a month later I started teaching that class and my life has never been the same since. No, I didn't get married but God has given me a love for something that I enjoy doing so much bigger than anything that I could have ever imagined in my life. And even though that was 20 years ago that wrestling match with God has taken on new flavors and, and new crossroads. And at every crossroad, at every junction, it's like God presses his finger on the pus. You know, you can get to a place where the pus accumulates and God's like, are you going to give me that now or not? And he doesn't do it because he hates me. He doesn't do it because he, he's against me. On the contrary, he does it because he knows that my heart will never be satisfied until he's the only one who fully satisfies me. And then everything else can come or go. It doesn't matter. I have him. What is it that's an idol in your life right now? Is it a dream? Or perhaps it's a relationship? Maybe it's a desire that you just can't, you don't think you can live without. Would you be willing to say, God, I'm willing to give it to you tonight? I'm going to ask the worship team in a moment to sing over us the first verse before we sing. Can you guys do that for us? And maybe... I'm going to go out on a limb here and ask you guys to do this. I, I don't know what you guys do in your church, so I, 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 you can't blame the pastor or this, but I've always felt in moments of decision that things firm in my, become really crisp and crystal clear in my life, in my mind, when I take a step of action back at camp, when I, when I had that moment with God, I actually, we were told to leave the auditorium and take some time and pray, and, and, and that moment of walking out and standing on a rock and looking up at the sky, to this day, I cannot stop thinking about that. There have been other times in my life when I've taken a step of action, and so what I'm going to ask is, if you have an area that you want to surrender to God, forget anybody else in this room, forget why you came tonight. Maybe you just came because you thought you'd see someone you haven't seen in a while, or maybe you came to buy one of my books because you heard it was a great book. I don't know what brought you here tonight, but I believe with all my heart that God brought you here because he's pursuing you with all of his might. And so I'm going to ask when we sing, when they sing over us, if you want to just take a step of faith and say, God, I'm serious about this as a point of action. Just come up to the front here and just bow at, at the front of the church and just sort of offer your prayer to him. I say, God, here it is. I'm giving it to you. 
Won't you all stand up now? And as they sing over us, if you feel led by the Spirit, to just come up into the front and pray. Just that. There's no one's going to embarrass you. If you want to bow by your seat to do it, you can do it that way. If you don't feel at all pressed to do it, don't feel pressured to do it. Just, just let the Spirit of God move you. Let Him sing over us one verse. And then after that, we'll go ahead and join them. But just take some time to come on up, if you will. And God, we just give you this time. We ask that you would be honored in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. So that was awesome, right? Oh, holy cow. Like there was moments during during that evening and, and even still, like when I go back and listen, just I love the thought of her heart through it all. You know, her heart just beats so passionately for God's words and the things of God. And yep. so where do we follow her? Yeah. Oh, her website is livingwithpower.org. And she has all kinds of apps. She has an app you can download. She has Bible studies you can listen to. It's awesome. Uh, yeah. Like, I'm doing her James one right now. It's so good. Are you? Yeah. She's yeah. a great resource and encouragement. And anyway, she she's helping refugees in Lebanon and you can follow along, you can support them and you can feel like you're right there with her because yeah. she, she, you know, she's in Chicago and then she like flies over there and... But she's live all the time. Right. Like, she does live like posts. Right there and, with her. So awesome. you see what your money's doing and it all, like the last little thing that she she did she was selling these boxes which you just kind of clicked on a box and gave an amount of money to help and it like provided medical care and 100 percent of the money went it. to you know it's going the there. medical care that she was providing so she's a doctor we forgot to mention that but we'll share her bio on our website yeah and, everything. and, and, and if you go back to yeah go to our website by designpodcast.com we will have the link to her old her old but like when she was on the show before she explains oh, yeah. a lot more about her her whole story so yeah. go back there you can we listen to her and then follow along yeah thanks so much <laughs>